Welcome, welcome back to Flow Align Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sumit Chatterjee, and on the other side, we have Ryan Gaffer Khan. Today, we have another special guest with us today. Ryan, you want to take it from here? Oh, of course I do. My name is Ryan. I'm a coach from uh, Align Data Strategy and a host, or co-host, I should say. No, our guest host, I should say. A Guy that doesn't believe in coincidence, but yet I have to say it's kind of funny how we met up, uh, Saif. Um, the story behind it was, of course, I was being recruited by, by CE for a data consultancy job. And just by chance, we found out, oh, we do very similar things. Let's see if we can, of course, do a podcast together. And does this happen? Saif, tell us a bit more about you, yourself, your passions, and how many changes yes. you fucked in Amsterdam. well that's an interesting introduction thank you for that ryan i really appreciate it and of course uh hello everyone it's nice to be here it's nice to meet you sumit it's nice to see you here ryan um it's it's a pleasure here live well we're not live but here uh kind of live from uh from amsterdam so my name is safe safe jabbar i am um I, i used to be a recruiter but now i'm in uh a position where I need to kind of, you know, reevaluate my my career path. So I'm I'm probably going to do something else after this job. Um, but I'm uh, I'm I'm very passionate as an individual. I'm very passionate about martial arts. I've been doing Taekwondo in the past. Now I do Krav Maga. I do kickboxing. I do boxing, and I really would like to try Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I haven't had the chance to do it yet. Um, other than that, I'm a certified life coach. I have a certification and my specialty is stress management. So I focus on the managing of stress. Um, this is something that I'm also quite passionate about. Uh, I believe that I have the knowledge and techniques to share this with other people also to make sure that people are not being um compromised mentally and physically by stress because that is something that is happening a lot these days especially in the covid but also in you know work-life balance not being optimal you know stress can really affect the freedom that we have in our thinking so that's something that i'm um ideally going to implement in my in my next career path in my next uh, step other than that i'm quite passionate about making music i sing in a band I sing in um, in a in a rock band, alternative rock, and I am a big big fan of podcasting. I love you know podcasts. I listen to the Joe Rogan Experience. Obviously, I like uh, Sam Harris. Also, actually, I like Duncan Trussell's podcast as well. It's pretty cool. And for me, I am very much a type of guy who is very let's say, um, I, I like to wing things. I like to go with the flow, not to think so much and just trust myself, trust my instincts. So because of that, I'd also love to talk about uh, flow state, which is something that Sumid, you are particularly, um, you know, uh, uh, specialized in as, as, a, as an expert coach. This is obviously one of, uh, one of the topics that, I feel like is so interesting because it is directly correlated to the human brain, right? To, to, to the human mind. And I think the human mind is potentially the most 
interesting object in the universe. Or maybe one of them. I don't know what other objects there are, obviously, out yeah, there. Yeah. there but, but, but yeah. Yeah, man. Um, definitely. I think you're in the right place, man, for all the things you mentioned. Like, honestly, we, we talk about like fighting and, and we talk about, you know, philosophy and building our character. I think character design identity, since we are going, both me and Ryan have a similar mentor, AZD. And so we're going through this process of just being able to have, you know, daily rituals and things like that. Man, that's super interesting. Um, in regards to what you said about stress, man, stress is such a, like a, a flow blocker, right? Right, it right, right. It stops you from experiencing that peak state. Right. So, you know, for a lot of people who right now, maybe they're unemployed or, you know, maybe they're stressed out of their minds of pe from panic and they're experiencing burnout, things like this, right? Uh, what are some like, like bullet point things that they could mm. do right away to change their situation around? Right. So you mentioned rituals, you mentioned routines and things like that. <clears throat> there's something about, um, there's something about the human body that is super adaptive. Like we become um, conditioned very easily. So for instance, if I implement just a very simple um, sort of breathing exercise in my morning routine, then I will find that I will be breathing much more freely in about a month. And this will actually affect my mental state also. This will affect my emotional state as well. So the first thing that I would say is implement a morning ritual, a morning routine that is specifically tailored for your body, for your mind. And that is just you time. It's just me time. You know, for, I, I actually mentioned this to, to a couple of my friends and one way that I would go about it initially is wake up just 30 minutes earlier. <clears throat> Within those 30 minutes, you can do a lot of things. So one thing that you can do is there's uh, like a breathing exercise, very simple one you can find on YouTube called the Wim Hof uh, breathing uh, like exercise. That should be like 10 minutes. Then afterwards, do a little bit of yoga, for instance, which could be like five to 10 minutes. Uh, so you got, you know, the, the, the body mind connection strengthening a little bit. And then afterwards, I would advise doing like a short meditation. You know, meditating is super um, mysterious for a lot of people because it's a lot, there's a lot of different ways to meditate. I think the, the, the idea of, of meditation can be different for a lot of different people. The, the intention though should be quite similar. It should be just to focus on the moment and just to disconnect with whatever else is happening in life right now. I think that is very important. Uh, so for me, what I like to do is I like to do a 20 minute meditation every morning. I like to do about 15 to 20 minutes of yoga every morning. I like to do uh, the breathing exercise, which is around 10 to maybe 12 minutes also every morning. And I find that doing these things create a type of mindset that allow you to approach the day on your own terms. So whatever is happening afterwards, 
you will be able to deal with it much easier. And you will also find that no matter what is happening, your internal model of the world and your internal experience is, um, is, is strong and it's calm and it's centered. So it doesn't, you're not affected as much. And I feel like um, that can reduce stress significantly. So these, these are some simple uh, bullet point things that I think everyone should implement in, in their in their day-to-day -day lives. Um, obviously, there's there's way more stuff to get into. There's, there's way more advanced stuff to get into. For instance, uh, looking at the core values of an individual. If the core values are not really aligned with everything else that they're doing in life, for instance, um, if, if, you know, your job is to, um, let's say, I don't know, you're like an account manager for a bank, but you really like, I don't know, making art, or you really like, you know, um, helping people, or you, or you like making music or whatever, well, then that's a misalignment of your core values with something that is taking up maybe at least 60% of your, of your life in terms of the time that you're spending here. So that is a huge source of stress also. Um, and actually that is something that is happening a lot out there. A lot of people are misaligned in terms of their values and in terms of everything that they uh, feel is actually important in their lives because a job feels important, right? Because that's how you, you get money. That's how you can pay for your bills. That's how you can support your family or whatever. But we do forget that initially jobs, you know, like the first, like this is, this is a weird topic, but let's say the first couple of jobs, like quote unquote, like that idea of, of thinking in that idea, you know, they were all really um, practical and they were all tailored towards either helping yourself or helping someone else, you know, like uh, reaping, the, gar the, the, the farm, um, helping, you know, someone with a broken leg or, you know, shaving the sheep or, or whatever. There is always something very functional about what you're doing. Um, and now I feel like we are very, um, we are very far away from that. There's a lot of trivial jobs out there. There's a lot of people who are working from home who have Netflix on, on one screen and like that's their job. And, and not only that, but they need to pretend not just to themselves, but also to their manager that they are doing something important. And like that does something to, to a mind, man. It's like, that's a weird thing that's happening there. It's like we're, we're, in, a, we're in this weird society where a lot of the jobs don't really feel like tangible things that are super important. Um, and I feel like that can also cause a lot of stress. So just to get back to my previous point or your question of, of what, what are some things that you can do? Well, um, I would say that a lot of people feel like they don't really have the energy left after work or time to do things that they really love. So they just end up watching Netflix or they end up, you know, playing games like myself. We can, we can talk about some games later on as well. <laughs> um, but what, what happens there is that the only thing that 
is really taking our energy becomes our job. And I feel like that's something that is very, um, you know, that's very dangerous. So what we, what we need to do there is we need to make sure that the time that we have outside of our work is also spent in doing things that we are genuinely passionate about, uh, you know, paint or make music or write something or spend time with loved ones instead of just, you know, watching Netflix and stuff like that exercise. And ideally, the next step is to actually implement the stuff that you're really passionate about, the stuff that you're really, um, you know, that is close to your core values, to your set of core values. The next step would be implementing that in your work. So I would say that is something that you uh, have been doing, Sumit, with your coaching in, in, in flow state, uh, which is really cool to me. Because this is also, you know, I, I recently acquired a coaching certification as a life coach. So I want to make that into my job. You know, I want to become a stress management coach. Uh, so that's something that I'm working on right now. And that for me is making that step, is, is implementing the core values of me as an in individual in my work. Because um, it, it, it really, for me, it, it really is um, important that I've, I use the abilities that I have as an individual. I use the social skills that I have and, and I use the knowledge that I have to help other people become inspired or to guide them towards a higher vibrational frequency of living. Because in, in doing so, I feel myself lifting up as well. And I feel like that's the only real thing that we have. Like the only real thing that I know I have is my mind and is the progression in the development of my mind. That's something that I can measure. It's super real, you know? And I feel like doing that, not just with myself, but for other people also, I feel like that's how we change the world. So that, that's something that I'm very passionate about. So Sumit, Sumit, tell me a little bit, man, about how you got into flow state coaching. Okay, that's the first time I've ever heard someone specialize in that. And it's so cool. It's so, so super interesting to me. Yeah, man. So I was actually really curious about the mind like yourself, you know, positive psychology. And uh, when I first went into, well, I was studying regular psychology at first in college. I was in a really hipster college in the middle of nowhere. That's uh, so <laughs> and basically from there, um, I, we had this thing called a plan process. So you could kind of have inter interdisciplinary subjects, right? So I was mm -hmm. studying theater and acting at the same time I was also studying psychology. So I started writing this book at the time, a book that's out right now. It's called TPM and me and Ryan. That's you know, so cool, dude. Yeah, Ryan can, uh, yeah, he can pull it up. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the one. dope, man. That's awesome. <laughs> Where, how did you publish that? Is that like, did you publish it? Yeah, I published it. Um, I have found a publisher here in India called Story Mirror. But nice. yeah, basically like that book was like my survival guide for college because I wanted to reinvent myself, right? Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to create my own character again and I didn't have any tools to do that. So I went on this rabbit hole like adventure trying to like get all the studies from psychology and like theater together and trying to make this technique, right? And then after that, they didn't, I mean, my 
advisor at the time, he was saying, you can't publish a book. Like, what are you crazy? Like make this a thesis or something, you know, you can't do that. So I just, over the years, I just throughout college, after my master's, I was just collecting data and like all this facts and stuff. And once I eventually got back to India, I, I published it. But yeah, back, back to flow. I mean, I was interested in positive psychology, right? And I was a, also a rapper um, for a long time, like since- Dude, What? I, That's so cool. When, when I was like in high school, I used to perform on stage and like- I, Oh my God, dude, that is awesome. So yeah, we definitely have to, you know, jam sometimes with some music stuff for sure. Yeah, dude, for sure, for sure. I actually used to rap as well, but we can talk about that <laughs> after, after, after a little while. Yeah, so- I actually, after I, um, you know, I passed my master's with, with a merit and that, that was a surprise. I was like a B grade student. Right. So for me to do that, I was really interested in the subject. Right. 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 I and I did the thing. And then after that, you know, I was trying to, I, I did a course in positive psychology and coaching psychology together. And that was a really rare course in London. Mm. And then after I did that, like I came back, um, to India and I was just like practicing coaching and things like that mm. from, you know, I was getting a few clients in London here and there. I started, but then I started working with my, uh, with a business coach. Actually, me and Ryan share that same business coach. His name is Joe, Joe Nicasio. Right. Okay. And he, like, I was originally a creativity coach, right? And so I was just like trying to help people be creative, but I didn't find my niche yet per se. Like I, I wasn't really specialized in anything. And Joe really helped me to figure out like, man, flow is where my magic is. You know, that's where I am combining all my interests together. You know, like you said, man, core values, you know, so important, right. like, yeah. like able to take all your interests and put it all together. Like mm -hmm. I could be a coach and still use my humor. You know, I could yes. be a coach still like design things for my, you know, public speeches and stuff like that. So I could still take all my interests. And also when I, when I speak, it's almost like I'm rapping. Right? I use a lot of hand gestures it has that kind of vibe to it. So at the same <laughs> time, I could get all my interests, you know, clumped together. And I've always been fascinated with spirituality too. So I found that link uh, with the flow state and that too, like Taoism and, you know, things like that. So you know, finding the sweet spot, finding the harmony in two different poles, like, you know, too playful, you're dancing monkey, too serious, you're rigid with a stick up your ass, you know? Right. So right. the middle point is that charisma or that flow, right? So yeah, yeah. like really finding, fine tuning the moderation, which is again, it's a stoic principle, but finding the midpoint of everything, that's been kind of my mission as a coach to help people not go toward these extremes, but finding that balance again. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. It, a lot of what you're talking about reminds me of, of martial arts philosophy. Totally. There's, there's, a, there's a book that I read called The Book of Five Rings. It's a, it's, it's a book written by Miyamoto Musashi. Um, yeah. I'm sure Ryan's going to pull it up right here because no, so, far, so, far, Ryan, <laughs> so far, Ryan has had every single book that I mentioned. <laughs> so... Uh, that's actually quite interesting. This is very cool. It's the, the magic of synchronicity. Um, a lot of the elements that you're talking about really remind me of that. It's, it's also, uh, Bruce Lee talked about this as well. Um, he's right there, exactly. And it's that principle of also that balance is reminiscent for me of being explosive 
in martial arts like firing and simultaneously maintaining that fluidity in your mind like water and combining that like you're combining water with fire. And, and when you do that, that's when you get these really amazing fighters like, you know, Bruce Lee or Conor McGregor, you know, or uh, Israel Adesanya, these people that just seem to flow without really maintaining a form. It's like form without form. And it's like all of that knowledge that they have of all the different principles, they have, there's like, you learn something and then after you learned it, you can kind of forget about it. And then you can just let it be exist in your subconsciousness while you are expressing yourself freely. And all of, all of the principles sort of project themselves through your expression. And that's, that's such a cool thing, man. I used to, in the beginning, when I started boxing, I used to, you know, have this really uh, rigid stance and I'd be like, yeah, that's, you know, that's what a fighter is like, you know, it's, it's someone who's like this and, and looks like a square and, and looks like an Ikea closet and like that's super cool, but it's not like that, you know, look at, look at Dennis Seaver versus Conor McGregor on YouTube. It's like Dennis Seaver's like this guy is like super, like, you know, I, I, I feel like if, if you're like that, I feel like your mind is like that also, right? Probably, because that's a projection, I feel like, of your internal, you know, I'm strong, macho man, like, you know, can't, you know, I'll take all the shots and, and, and whatever. Um, so that is a very cool thing, man. It's like that balance that you were talking about. I feel like that also includes a little bit of the masculine and the feminine uh, energy uh, or principles inside of a human being. And I, I feel like finding that balance in between those two uh, extremes I think that's when you get a very, um, yeah, very balanced uh, uh, energy spectrum. It's funny you should say that, Save. I've also a deep background in martial arts. I studied with Taekwondo, Karate, you name it. And I began to find success because, let's say, I went into a more positive masculine frame. I wasn't doing it because it would it would get me wins on tournaments. I was doing it because I love the process. The right. goal is as if you need to love going through a meat grinder. That's how it felt like. Right. Because right. you need to be very okay with losing. And even more so in BJJ where I had to relearn in March or completely start from zero. Mm. And moving towards the whole rigidity and flexibility goes all the way to the whole idea of being a bamboo. I mean, I'm extremely like a bamboo. Strong, like a bamboo. Yeah, but you're flexible also. As well, especially in Taekwondo, yeah. you have no choice. You can't yes. be inflexible and kick. It doesn't work like that. Yes, yeah. Unless you're doing calf kicks or low kicks, but you get the point. Now, when I really was at my best, I believe I reached a level of, let, let, let's say, martial arts nirvana, in my own words, where I was so dedicated to a single thing that was Taekwondo. I could give a mm. shit about my studies or whatever. That was the only thing. And according to, of course, if you follow planetary energies, etc., we all know that Earth is ruled by Saturn. Saturn is 
you know, the planetary god of discipline, order, meaning you will be rewarded the more you follow the path of, you know, nature and discipline, looking all the way back to, of course, the lion's den rituals, assuming. Um, and what I have found during this process of training day in, day out, going to school, happening out in the business of my dad, uh, I had no other choice but to be full because I wanted more time to train. I wanted more time to refine. I wanted to go all the way to the point where my style was simpler, was way, way simpler, going all the way back to the basics and starting all the way back from learning how to walk correctly. Because all, and if you ever dance Kizumba, it's the same idea. You have to relearn how to walk, relearn how to get the right posture, relearn how to, um, blitz in and blitz out and sidestep the correct way. And by doing that, I start to realize it is all one law. If you do it right from the get-go or correct it from the now, you now have no need for stress. You now have no need for self-pity. You now have no need for any negativity because once you were wrong and now you're right. And with that, you know, childlike philosophy or a very high philosophy, but as a child of maybe, I don't know, 16, 17, I decided to reapproach martial arts and just engage. Yes, Ryan, you're tired. Yes, Ryan, you're in pain. That was inevitable. But what you can do is return the favor in equal or more amounts. And when all of a sudden, starting to win tournaments, fights, my dad proud of me, I'm getting more addicted to the wins, etc., etc., etc. And if I have not had known this before, I would have done this way earlier. What you apply to one art inevitably relates to another. So if you're, let's say, a great rapper, and all of a sudden you feel like you're missing inspiration and you take up painting or you take up coaching or you take up whatever, the same fundamental principles have to apply. Else that would mean you have yet to learn more about it or have yet to learn a deeper understanding so that you can apply it broadly. One example would be because I have a deep background in Taekwondo doesn't necessarily mean I'll be good in Jiu-Jitsu. However, the black belt mentality stays the same. It's day in, day out, absolute focus on the basics because when you're tired, the only thing that will save you are the basics. When you're in a panic mode, the only thing that will save you are the basics. I mean, the front kick, it's the most basic technique you can ever learn, but it's extremely effective because you have no choice but to practice it. And the same thing in pickup, your opener should be just like that. You should understand the principle of leading to comfort. All battles are won in comfort. As long as there's no comfort, you cannot win. It's the same thing when you're recruiting someone, isn't it? Because if you're not, if the candidate isn't comfortable with you, 
You cannot even sell them. Let it um, get him to a uh, new appointment with a potential employer. It won't work like that. And as an end conclusion, I love what you said about core values, because indeed, if your job isn't connected to your core values, you'll have a very hard time. And going through the whole idea of look for the core values within your job. In my case, yes, I could be uh, no, not annoyed. Yes, I could name all the negative things about my job, but how would that help me? Instead, look forward to helping people because that's one of my core values. I am altruistic by nature. So my goal isn't, oh, I have to do this so that this happens, which is the correct syntax, but the wrong perspective. It is because I, because I not only get paid for this, but I feel great when I do this and help people. The closing of the ticket, let's say, is just an aspect of helping. It's just administration. The true achievement is getting pleasure or deriving uh, leisure from actually helping solve the issue. And even if I can't solve the issue, guiding a user or a client towards the right place, to the right place so that it can be solved and thereby winning. And it doesn't have to be a big win. Many small wins all over the day will inevitably serve you. So what are your thoughts on that, Saif and Sumit, whoever wants to go first? So, yeah, Sumit, um, what, 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 what are your thoughts? Well, I was really curious when you guys, you know, you're both fighters. I have a question for you guys, actually. I was, you, you were speaking about this idea of alignment. And I think that's really crucial, really important. Like you want to be aligned with your values. You want your character to match the thing that you're doing, essentially. And I think a big part of that is that feeling of embodiment, right? Like that feeling that, okay, I'm there. I feel like I'm finally that person or that identity, right? So for each of you guys, when was the first time that you finally felt that you embodied or you identified as a fighter? When was that like realization for you guys? Oh, that's such an interesting question. I think the, 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 the reason why this question is so interesting is because it requires you to have a definition of what it is to be a fighter. And I feel like that might be different for a lot of people. For me, I would say a fighter is someone who has, um, who has followed the path towards the mastery of a martial art and throughout that process, has followed the path towards mastery of him or herself. And in doing that, they have understood that there is a monster inside of them, that there is a chaos, a whirlwind of, of, of powerful force inside of them, and that they have now learned to control that and to utilize it within within a certain context however in 
the process of controlling that power within them, they have become much more confident individuals and they have become much more balanced as a human being as well. Because you would much rather know the dark power that lies inside of you and control it so that you may um, you may understand that it is something that should be controlled uh, or rather than having it inside not fully understanding it and then maybe it um, uh, you know blows out of uh, proportions at some point and bad things will happen because of that um, so so that that for me is is the embodiment of a fighter it's not just the fighting of the martial art but it's also the internal uh, fight fighting process of controlling your inner world and in doing that being a much more complete person uh, I also find that a lot of fighters that I meet are very um, uh, are very humble very uh, beautiful people to talk with that um, <laughs> you know that um, <laughs> like Ryan <laughs> yeah I mean, it is true, man. I, I have to say, it is true. It is true. And um, I feel like that is very much a result of that. It's very much a result of, of conquering that inner process. So for me, the first, I, I would say the first time when I really had that feeling, it probably would have been in a moment where I was confronted with a situation where usually conflict would have arisen. Have or would I have not acted in a way that I deem a true fighter would have acted? I de-escalated the situation and I walked away and I made sure that nobody got hurt. Uh, I had no reason to show my fighting skills even though I completely could have. That was the perfect situation to do so. And I would have impressed someone, I would have you know, done, done all, all of that stuff. But in that situation, in a situation like that, understanding the conflict that is potentially about to happen on uh, recognizing it and also controlling it just like that internal control that you've done throughout the years towards the mastery of the martial art. That for me is the, the embodiment of, of, of a fighter. And I feel like that was for me the first moment uh, where I understood it in my head. There was a scenario where fighting would have happened and, and we walked away and, and we de-escalated. That I felt like a true student of, of martial arts at that point. Oh man, yeah. So it's like that feeling of responsibility of this craft. Yes, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. You hit on a lot of points that I absolutely agree with. Absolutely agree with man. However, um, let me extend on a few points. But let's first start with one. What does it mean to be a fighter? It, it, it simply means to carry the burden of the fighter. You carry the consequences of either choosing to not engage because you know it's not going to lead to anything good or choosing to engage because you know if you don't, a lot more bad things will happen. And it's that continuous balance of, okay, tight cool retreat, making sure everyone's safe, or seeing a pattern and correcting it, being in the moment like, okay, these guys are clearly out for us, 
you need to stop it now or having no other choice but to. So that's one part. And the other part had to do with, I started to myself understand what it meant to be a practitioner at the moment I started to really love it. Like live and breathe, uh, either Taekwondo, BJJ, or the love of simply the thrill of the fight. And the realization that I am building a body, a character, a, a mental mastery over, as you said, the beast within, the monster within. Because the monster within seeks the thrill of, you know, that bloodlust. Now, if you can control that bloodlust, you could give it a simple space to, motherfucker, we've trained your body for this, your mind for this, now it's showtime. Knock yourself out. Go break a leg. And I remember very fondly, my best fights weren't even at the tournament. They were just randomly in the JoJo, just going absolutely batshit crazy and just going, like really trying to kill each other, but with a smile almost. And the same thing in BJJ, really just being very technical, going in, out, getting top positions, and you name it. And even if we'd lose, it was okay. Because either I've won or I've learned. And that's a very hard lesson as well. Now, going deeper into a more mature fighter, I start to realize not uh, the deeper consequences of knowing how to fight. It's the same thing as walking with a, uh, <laughs> walking with a concealed carry, so to speak. I think ACD talked about it yesterday. I have the power to kill people. Well, not literally, but at the very least maim. And you, would I really want to waste my bullets on a situation where um, the consequences might not be desirable. It's the same thing as, is it my ego or is it an actual situation where I have no choice? So these are the conundrums you deal with. And it can go either the way of I'm going too much where I compromise too much or the complete opposite of both are toxic. So it's a very fine line between choosing what to do and what not to do. And my choice has always been, if there's no need, don't do it. And if there's a need, is it a need because your ego got damaged? Is it a need because you're stressed out and you want to you know, burst out? Then burst out in a environment where you can. Because nine out of 10 times, nine out of 10 times, uh, all uh, my outbursts would have been just because I was too stressed or I, I, I didn't go fight in the wild, which is why I, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the lockdown at the moment because I cannot go sparring because I cannot risk carrying. But on the other hand, I really miss the thrill of the fight. It's like a hunt almost. Why do some people not understand hunters? because it's thrilling. 
I maybe went hunting once or twice in my life back in uh, South America, Suriname. And I remember the thrill of hunting a deer or a uh, pingo or a, a, a bush one. <laughs> what? I have the tiger, brother. I have the tiger, indeed, indeed. I just have that playing. <laughs> well, it, it is also one of. Look at Rocky. Rocky. Uh, all the Rockies are a very great depiction of, let's say, an old school Western uh, depiction of the fighter. Clint Eastwood as well. They're all warriors, and they resonate with us because they hit multiple archetypes that is within. And all masters are different. I mean, I've had a very aggressive drill sergeant of a master. Fantastic character, you know, guy outside, greatest jokes, greatest duty jokes I ever heard. But once he's in the mode, you're done. It's one hour of fuck you, you're not going home. And sometimes he made it too, just to fuck with you. Like, no man, I need to go eat. You're eating here, your food is training. Because he wasn't satisfied. And you can even go into soldiers have to be warriors. Fuck it. We all as men have to have a prerequisite to know how to fight. I don't care about your sexual orientation or whatever. You as a man need to know how to protect yourself at all times. What do you tell us about that, uh, guys? Super interesting, man, because it's like, you know, you know, when people say that vulnerability is a strength, well, that's very direct in terms of you're actually vulnerable to get knocked out. You're, you're vulnerable to get injured, right? Mm. And so that's why I feel like, you know, vulnerability doesn't have to be an emotional vulnerability. It can be a physical risk and a vulnerability mm. too, right? So it's like, and this, this thing that you guys are talking about, it's fascinating, this bloodlust, like this kind of like primal, you know, caveman energy that we've channeled essentially as men and and been able to you know i guess martial arts mars energy right combat like able to tap into that energy and giving it mechanics right it's like giving it a structure and somewhere safe that you can allow that energy to express itself essentially Mm. um so yeah, that balance is super fascinating to me. And yeah. it, it reminds me of uh, if you if we want to bring fighting as an analogy to towards pickup and seduction. I mean, I recently saw this video from uh, Teal Swan and she was saying that, you know, a woman's baseline is actually at fear. Like she's constantly in this fear mode. Right. Interesting. Right. And so when you have someone who's a protector and a provider, not like a, a sidekick or some kind of like, you know, mm. dancing monkey or, you know, what other examples? Or a guy with a stick up his ass constantly. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, she wants to feel protected and preserved and contained within that safety. And I think this is why women go for the bad boy, essentially by befriending the beast or the monster, um, she's not threatened by other people. And mm. also, you know, in a sense, she's not the target either in this case. Mm, mm. Right. So Super. what are you, man? So that, that is so fascinating to me. One, first of all, be, before, before I, I want to think of, or before I want to share my thoughts on this, I just want to mention that 
uh, Ryan, when you said when you said break a leg, but within the context of like martial arts and sparring, I, I never heard that before. I thought that was so funny because you know, <laughs> well, break because a you leg. can actually can. <laughs> yeah, because you it, can go break it, a leg. It, it, <laughs> Like, like, because usually it's like within the context of theater and, and plays, like, you know, go break a leg. Well, I always thought that was a weird saying. Like, where did that come from? Well, mostly martial arts. I mean, look at the Chinese Kung Fu. Ultimately, there's a lot of theater uh, aspects to it. Although, uh, audience, please realize that I don't know shit about Kung Fu and I'm simply making a comment. Um, however, there is a play of timing, especially in the striking sports and grappling sports as well. It's, it's slightly more complex, in my opinion. But the reason why I said break a leg was on the one hand, the drills, you need to give it your all. Mm. You need to be very technically savvy. You have no choice but to be tired. You want to be drenched. You want to start sweating blood if possible because you have no other choice when you're in the ring and he sees you're tired guess what jack his bloodlust will shot up to the roof and he will smell the blood and destroy you killer instinct yeah it's it's like a shark moment it's, it's like when the yeah. bear smells honey he yes he, he you should expect to get your ass whooped and mm-hmm. he deserves to whoop your ass because you look tired and sure, you could use it to trick him into obeying him into making mistakes. But here's the thing. It is inexcusable for you as a fighter not to have a conditioned body. Now, I'm not saying become a Greek god. But what I am saying is, let's look back into the mystery method. One of the things also had to, be, had to do with the protector of loved ones. Loved ones start with self. If you can protect yourself, be it with a strong body, martial arts, a concealed weapon, the, the know-how of playing a very defensive strategic social game, which by which I mean, you know, if there's a situation, you can always de-escalate it to a point where there is no tension and you can always walk mm. away without getting stabbed, for instance. That's a weapon as well. That is that's, a weapon as a, well. That's a that's an art form as well. It is a weapon as well, but still, you have no excuse as a man to not be conditioned well. Of course, of course, because you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to trust, you don't want to only have a spear, because then if the bear gets close, you're fucked. You want to have a spear and a a knife or something. You know, you want to have multiple weapons in your arsenal. I agree. Well-rounded. I agree. And to add on that, you don't only want to be proficient in one weapon. I mean, in my case, I, I love the left high kick. It's my go-to weapon. It is swift, it is fast, and you won't see it coming. And if you get, and if that doesn't work, left high Brazilian kick, you will not see it coming. Are you, southpaw, I, are you a southpaw, Ryan? I am fight? ambidextrous. I fight both Wow, ways. really? That's so cool. And that's yeah, because nice. of my uh, Taekwondo background. We had no other choice but nice. to learn. It. Yeah. Now both sides of me are equally good. I just have different ways of fighting. When I fight right forward, mm-hmm. it's it's head hunting time. If yeah. I'm <laughs> left forward, it's punishing the body time. Right. And I will. 
and both sides can do equal amounts. It's just the nuance is very different. It's, it's like I switch between two different characters continuously. And That's then I have so cool. a, I don't know, it feels like a game I played with myself. Well, yeah. Uh, where I would have, let's say, a hidden stance would be like horse riding stance, but it would, let's say, like bus route and walk forward more and just play around with different techniques. And what I'm really getting at is to be proficient in all is and it's, it's a worthy goal. But what I even want to say is if you know how That's to have one, like in a business, one one powerful, simple marketing process will beat all inefficient marketing processes simply because it works. It's effective, it's efficient, it's adaptable. And that's the, the style I like to go for. I mean, when I, when I did Pusin Jiu-Jitsu, used to do Pusin Jiu-Jitsu, still planning on going back, um, I had to figure out how in God's name do I beat these tall, big ass white people because <laughs> <laughs> they're huge this they're huge oh my it's god like, Every... it's, it's like you're a character in attack on titan you're yeah like exactly yeah, yeah 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 so for people that don't know this um tech and titan basically is a dystopian place where instead of zombies you have extremely big zombies the size of castles houses or whatever 100 yeah. recommend that anime um super cool it's definitely cool to me definitely watch it uh it's a lot of drama fantastic but going back to getting my ass in bgj um it wasn't fun just continuously losing for half a year i remember i couldn't play the game i had to relearn everything mm. and i had to become proficient in what surviving and it was like a beer was mauling me, but very slowly. <laughs> I know I was going to get injured. I know I was going to get mauled, whatever, or, or smashed, so to speak. But I had to learn to be okay with the pressure. I had to mm. learn to be okay with, you know, my own fears and realizing it's cool. It's a very similar anxiety and fear you get when interacting with a girl or woman you deem extremely mm. hot or quote-unquote out of your league, which I don't believe, by the way. Yeah. Agreed, and it's that, that, it's, it's that survival instinct of the past or old programming or that primal programming, who knows? Because your inner, I don't know, the programming just says, oh, shit, I'm in danger. I'm being destroyed by someone that might destroy my face, which I had mm. all the right to do in that situation because it was mm. on my back and they could, like, stomp me and whatever. Then you have a moment that you realize, wait a minute, if I bring his head down, if you control the head, what do you control? You control the body. Control the head, control the body. Right. Oh. Right. So what if I bring my knees and I control the torso as well? Oh. And how did you do the triangle choke again? I see. You take the elbow, you switch, you put one leg up to control, switch again, boom. Hit the, hit the knee off. I kind of forgot it's been a while. Awesome. And the next question then becomes, now I have found an effective way to defend myself from the back. What else can I do? Boom, introducing the wrist lock. And then I became the asshole that continued to use a wrist lock on everybody and his little sister because I couldn't <laughs> give a shit. 
Uh, some try to survive, guys. <laughs> what? How long have you been doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Like, what's your proficiency level? Uh, let's say uh, not even a stripe. <laughs> I'm a white. Okay. Belt, I'm a no-stripe white belt, so I. Okay. I should not even be talking uh, about uh, the techniques or whatever. However, honestly, it, it's so interesting, though. Yeah. If you're a man, especially a short man, and you don't know how to wrestle or to finish an opponent on the ground, you're missing out big yeah. time, <laughs> big time. The, the only times I actually won in a street fight was by getting the opponent on the ground and joint walking. Because of my mm. background and my dad teaching me some things, I knew how to do finger locks, which are illegal in BJJ, but it's the streets. And if you can get away with something, do it. What's a finger lock? You bend the fucking pinky. No way. Are you serious? Yeah, I. Oh this, uh, if you're bigger than me, you're a threat and you must be neutralized. I don't care. And if wow. you decide to break your pinky, guess what? You cannot make a powerful fist without your pinky. Is that true? Try it. Oh my Do God, you're right. I've never tried that before. Now That's tried, really funny. Now try to make a fist, but without your tongue. And then you realize- That's doable. That's kind of doable, right? Without yeah, this is doable. So, so if you have a choice between the two, always break the pinky. You heard it here first on FAP. Yeah. <laughs> a disclaimer, I, I uh, do not endorse violence. I do not endorse these techniques. And I uh, definitely endorse just practicing in a, in a safe environment. No Absolutely. disclaimers, you know. This is I not mean, the WWE. This is not fake. You will get hurt. Interesting. Yeah. This idea that you brought up in terms of I think, uh, Saif, also you brought up this idea of this utility belt, right? And having these different kinds of weapons. Mm. And is this what makes a great MMA fighter, you'd say, is that they learn these different styles and they're easily able to switch weapons in a sense and be able mm. to, you know, um, switch from one to the other and right. be the like Swiss army knife for the Swiss listeners that we have. Yeah, that's God. funny as well. <laughs> Yo, sick shout out. That was, that's the sickest shout out so far. Yeah. For all you Swiss listeners out there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel I feel like you're onto something. For for me, I I, I do see a lot of really good fighters who don't mix and match a lot of disciplines. So someone who's just really proficient at like kickboxing or really proficient at Muay Thai and maybe Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or something, like those those can be enough tools to really hold your own at a very high level. Um, however, I personally think that the most entertaining fighters are the guys who do seem to flow in and out of different styles continuously. Yeah. Um, but I think to answer your question specifically in order to find out what makes a great fighter. I think it is the versatility and the fluidity of the mind. Like the, the I feel like the mindset is really what makes a great fighter. Um, it, to the ability to tap into, you know, for instance, flow state and the ability to look at it, not just as a competition, but also as a game and, and yeah. to have fun with it. 
And I feel like whenever you do that, whenever you start looking at it as if you're playing Tekken in real life at the moment, I feel like whenever that is actually happening, you will have more fun with it. Now, <laughs> one, one, thing, one thing about flow state, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Sumit, but one thing about flow state is that in order to tap into flow state, you need a certain, um, you, you need certain circumstances to be uh, suitable, right? So you yeah. need, you, you, it can't be 100% challenge. Like that's not the great situation. It should be a little. It should be a little bit of challenge and a little bit of fun. It should be something that you're actually interested in doing a little bit. Like yeah. if you're if you're rolling, oh. if you're like rolling a ball up a hill, you're not gonna tap into flow state that easily. I don't know unless you're like some monk that is from the future, but um, usually not so much. But if you're, for instance, if you love bow and bow hunting, and there's a very difficult shot but you love this, that's when you're going to tap into flow state because it's it's the combination of challenge and fun. Um, and, and I feel like that fun element, I think whenever fighters are able to find that in high level um, pressure moments and competition moments, that's when they excel because that's when they tap into that flow state. That's when um, things fall into place. Right, and there's there's differences between like you know group flow and social flow, as well as psychological flow and environmental flow. Right, so you could get flow when you go out into nature, for instance, and you have a specific environment like the cage or the boxing ring, or you know, that's a specific environment that you tap into. It's like, man, I'm there. Right. So yeah, 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 yeah. Flow, I see that. Flow state has these preconditions, like you said, they're called triggers. Right. right. Flow and so there's many t kinds of flow triggers, but some of the main ones are like, you know, deep concentration, you know, um, being able to balance your challenge and your skills together. Like if something is too challenging and you're not skilled at it, you're going to get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And if you're too skilled at it, it's not challenging enough. You're going to get bored. Right. Yeah. I keep both of them to be able to, you know, ride the wave and be in the zone. So that's a big aspect of it super interesting in regards to you know fighting and being a real life Tekken character I love that man like, <laughs> it's it's hilarious it, it's really funny to look at fighting like that because whenever I go sparring with with a friend of mine sometimes we actually play UFC 3 on my PlayStation and it's like you know we we play that and then afterwards we go sparring and sometimes I make like that joke where I, I stand still in one place and just jump up like three times where it's like I'm spamming the jump button. <laughs> you know? And, you know, that playfulness, that uh, ability to, to find the fun in, in the competitive aspect, uh, I feel like that's what uh, elevates people to really, really high levels. Um, I think Israel Adesanya said it one time, and, and it's uh, a very good... Um, it's a very... Um, it was very provocative for me, very thought-provoking. He said, when I'm having fun, I'm the best in the world. And he I feel like he recognizes that, you know, in, in that flow is really a great um, catalyst for getting into flow state in, in, in very high-pressure environments and in high-level high competition matches. 
By the way, are you guys familiar with UFC? Do you ever like watch it? I hope so, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watch on and off. Yeah, some of them that Sweet. I'm really about. Yeah, that's speaking of flow. Speaking of flow. Yeah. GSP, Israel Adesanya, uh, Marco Copas, a very Conor McGregor, of course. I believe there's no one good answer. It's simply a pattern that we can see. And what you would have is either he become a variation of a T-shaped person, which means your defense is on point. They cannot take it to the ground easily. And even if they do, you can get up fast, which means you're a nightmare for people that are only good at takedowns. Right. And if, which, you know, take Adrisa and Conor McGregor, to a certain extent as great examples. And then you have people like uh, Mirkov. Uh, I forgot his name. I can't believe it. Well, one of those Russian guys. Jesus. Mirko Krokop? Mirko Krokop. And he had a uh, Vladislav something something. He had a mm. brother as well. I forgot. And GSP as well. And what I've noticed there is they have a sequence of almost like a rock, paper, scissors sequence where if he throws something, it's an immediate takedown. And if I throw something, I can always switch to a takedown and then continue to fight from there, almost as if it's an automated process. Let's say automated chess in a way. That's how you could view it. Now, going back to Tekken, it's, it's, it's very much like Tekken to me. It's... And I always play either Jin or Hurong. It's either one of those two. Or the <laughs> sword guy. Or the sword guy. The sword guy is really Yoshimitsu. fun. Exactly. Yoshimitsu. The sword guy yeah. and the Jack Hammer is fun as well. Um, the sword guy is... Yeah. Because he, he did Taekwondo. Yeah, did yeah, yeah, yeah. As well, yeah. as well, as well. I mean, his moves are dope. And I'll be honest. Uh, it's, it's funny when you look back and you see what his power kicks are. It's always like... Uh, spinning kicks, like simple spinning kicks, like a, a power back kick or a powered mundudulia, uh, which means a kick to the head with spinning, with the with the heel. That's that. I never really managed to land it in competition per se, but if you know how to do it, you you might have to uh, say sorry after, man, because. That's 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 that will put people to sleep. That will put people to sleep. And to also another extent, besides games, when I look at it as in dance, if you look at it from a rhythmical perspective, we're all fighting in a certain beat. And when I was in my let's say concentration heyday, when I was really like focused on fighting according to rhythm. I used to count in my head like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and just try to time his own rhythm. And in between the beats, I would counter and frustrate my opponent. And wow, nice. What I didn't realize back then is you know, when you meditate, certain ways of meditation uh, put you in a trance. Yeah, yeah. And it was so, all, it's if you look back at uh, the more Native American styles, you were like, the vibration of the voice. Also. It's because exactly. there's, 
there's like drums in the background here as soon as you said that so <laughs> yeah that's funny yeah yeah that's trippy that is trippy but um i remember this only happened once during a tournament where i was i remember counting and i felt the bloodlust in the first round and in the second round i recounted and i changed my rhythm so instead of let's say attacking on the fifth beat i would attack on the third beat on the uh, on the third uh three and a half and four beats and what would have yeah exactly and because they're like one of the two i would like switch every third uh sequence it would switch it up and all of a sudden i forgot to count and all it's like my body went into an automatic let's say flow state and it was like it was in the matrix and that's the cool thing about striking sport it's like once you enter the matrix you you lose you you know you're there you're conscious but you're not conscious anymore and yeah, it's that's... like it just takes over and it's 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 like that adrenaline and bloodless just just intertwine and i see thing i saw things before they happened and i've never yeah. been able to replicate that that feeling so far unless i was in a high stakes situation during bjj i could like feel what was happening i could close my eyes and just feel oh if i do this inevitably he has to do this and boom he does it and my body is already ready and i'll never forget this moment while i was attacking he had a counter ready so almost automatically my body gave the answer kick switch back do a spinning kick knock his helmet down boom i won the match i was like what the fuck did i do and my whole team just just jumping off the bench my <laughs> my coach back then to get a standing <laughs> getting off his chair spilling water and he's like freaking out like how did you do that it was fantastic and that's a chance brother yeah, yeah. I, i would recommend that experience if you can recreate it <laughs> and it's actually, mm -hmm. you know it's like i think it is a fighting term going unconscious is like one of those like um synonyms for the flow just like being in the zone jazz musicians call it you know being in the pocket um wow that's interesting they call it being in the pocket i yeah. never heard that before that's really cool that's like, a fighting term also being in the pocket yeah oh yeah so oh yeah that and especially if you're doing boxing or taekwondo or whatever striking sport you're going to hear that a lot and saif let's uh, let's do another 15 minutes because we're already at uh, the half an hour mark the pocket your fighting experience what what fun things did you manage to learn in the fighting arts the martial arts that you've managed to apply towards coaching yeah oh with full circle oh that's that's very interesting to go full circle well just before before i i uh answer this i want to say something else which was really funny because i never did bjj i never really did grappling or anything like that uh, i've always been a striker so one time during krav maga we had this free-for-all um basically one-on-one -on -one match where everything was uh, uh legal you could do everything uh, we had full gear on and the guy that I was fighting had the understanding that I was a good uh, kicker because I have a background in Taekwondo. So he, we, we talked about this later. That's how I know all this stuff. 
um, basically what he did, and he, he told me this later, is he tried to close the distance on me as soon as the fight started and to neutralize my ability to kick by going for a takedown. And he went for a single leg and basically he didn't get me on the ground, but he had my leg like stuck in his arm. So what I did is I turned around and I did like the roll. I rolled out of it and then he came back and then some you know, similar situation happened. He, got, he went for the takedown. We were on the ground. And what ended up happening was I took his back. I had a rear naked choke and I had my legs locked around his hip, like interlocked like that. And all of that just went automatically. I never did any BJJ, but I remember doing that because I, I, I saw that happen on the UFC so many times. Like I was watching the UFC quite a lot. I, I still do. And I guess subconsciously, I just picked some stuff up and I just applied it in the moment. And uh, he tapped. And um, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's funny how when you're, you know, not so worried about what's going to happen, when you're not really thinking too much in terms of what should my next move be, how you allow certain things in your subconsciousness to kind of take over and allow them to lay out the path in, in, in front of you. And I think that's what happened there. But just to go back to your initial question, have there been any things from martial arts that I could apply to you know, my coaching business or, or other things that I'm doing in life? Well, 100%, man, absolutely. Well, the, the initial thing that is the most obvious is of course the mindset, the discipline, the mentality. You know, that is something that you take with you everywhere. That's just a foundational change in an individual uh, after practicing martial arts for so, so many years. But I also, I also want to um, correlate this to a, an argument that you had earlier on where you said that <clears throat> understanding the true principles of something, of an art form, is something that you automatically take with you in every other area of your life. Uh, I think this is very true. And there's also a saying... Um, something along the lines of from one thing, no 1,000 things. And I think uh, Musashi talks about this as well. Um, it's, it's basically that when you become disciplined and when you take the time to master something, whatever that may be, that process is already doing something to your mind that will benefit you in other areas of your life. And it doesn't matter whatever that thing is that you are mastering to begin with, because the process of putting your mind through that process, um, that is beneficial in everything else that you could be doing. So um, one thing specifically that I could take maybe from, um, from, from martial arts, well, I think it's also the, the patience because it requires a lot of patience and, and discipline to, uh, to not be frustrated by not doing something correctly or by being, uh, or by tapping, you know, for several months in a row in the first time that you're practicing BJJ or um, constantly not being fast enough with your blocking and feeling like you're getting hit too much. You know, it, it, it takes discipline. It takes patience to go through that so that you will get to a point where that will improve. Uh, I feel like that is very important. That is something that I can bring with me in my coaching. 
because um, you know a, a lot of people have these um, psychological rules that are deeply ingrained in their psyche that tell them things about themselves and about the world and about other people that put them down in a in a way they they compress their own sense of self in a subconscious way so they are constantly convincing themselves that they're not good enough or that they're being um, um, that they're being compromised or that they're being limited in in some sense while that may not even be true but it is something that is deeply ingrained in them and that can be very frustrating maybe to deal with for for some coaches because it will feel like there's no possibility to get around that but that's the thing that you need to deal with. That's the thing that you need to change in an individual in order to replace it with a stronger pillar. The way that it works is you remove that and you replace it with a pillar that is basically um, an alternative way of thinking. For instance, I give you an example. An example from my point of view is that I've always struggled with math. Um, I've always, because of that, convinced myself that I'm not great at math. Now, what happens there is there a psychological rule is being created subconsciously that um, is developing over time. It's evolving. So at some point, I have this idea in my head subconsciously that I'm simply not very good at math. And because of that, I will always be um, handicapped in my ability of performing math under high pressure circumstances. It's because of my own self-limiting belief. A self-limiting belief is a kind of psychological rule uh, that we use in, in coaching terminology. So something that I did here is I replaced that self-limiting belief. I mean, obviously I practice, you know, I, I have this little game on my, on my cell phone, on my Android phone, where I practice it's like a mental training game. And one of the elements of the mental training game is like math problems. And I do that, you know, every day when I'm on the toilet, it's, it's great. It's perfect. It's like five minutes. I, I highly advise everyone else to do that. If, if you're all, like, if you're on the, on the toilet, a lot of people go through social media and stuff, do a brain training game. It's perfect. Um, anyway, other than that, I took, I realized that self-limiting belief was there. I realized the impact. I took it and I replaced it with, a, um, a mantra or a self-uplifting belief saying that I am great at math. I'm fantastic at math. I'm so super good at math. And now whenever I am in a moment where I'm faced with uh, a math problem or when I'm doing that game that I was talking about or whenever I, there's something really happening like a bill or something and I have that urge to pull up my phone and the calculator, I don't. I just say I'm great at math. I do the thing and usually I do it correctly. It's because I just, it's because I do have the ability to make mathematical equations. Like I know, I know how to do it, but the doubt that is deeply ingrained within myself is at the moment being removed. And therefore I will be fully able to commit to that mental process. Uh, so that's like you rewriting your storyline almost, right? You're taking yes. the, and you're saying like, just because of this event, it doesn't make the psychological rule true. Exactly. Uh, it's right like, you know, you're a kid, you draw a little funny dog in art class and you get mocked for it. And you're like, I'll never be an artist again. Right. right. And it, that's exactly it. Yeah. 
And so you go your whole life believing that you'll never be an artist until you do the inner work and you dive into that belief and you deconstruct it. And then that's where you start shining in that area. Yeah. Awesome, man. I, I disliked math too in the past, primarily <laughs> because of teachers who I've gotten who weren't fair. Like they put me in an advanced math class, bro. Maybe because I'm Indian. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and like, like all of I these. I mean, when stereotyping goes wrong, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying. That's I mean, here you are being shit at math. Now I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Let's go to America where the math is simpler. And like, nope. Advanced math class. That's that's hilarious. <laughs> that's fucked up, man. <laughs> so, Ryan, obviously, I I didn't even know that you're a fighter, bro. And I'm super away. excited. I I would I would say your um your sort of calm and mystical way of carrying yourself. It, it reminds me a little bit. It reminds me a little bit of Bruce Lee, actually. And that's that's very yeah that's oh thank you I, I like it all. good that we have this on a recording because I'm gonna be playing that all night. You heard it here first. You heard it here first, man. No, but the uh, podcast. <laughs> let me say this. Um, one thing I, uh, looking back at before we started, <laughs> looking back at before we started yeah that that cues a killer man we should go to the toilet real fast huh Shave? <laughs> um no I'm, jo- I'm joking i'm joking um looking back at something safe and i discussed before uh you came uh, on to meet was the couple of that we're both reading it now you just finished it now what i like to do is reread certain chapters one thing that came was that the higher rule must be used to defeat an, a lower rule, meaning a rule of lower frequency, lower importance and whatever. And that's how it was triggered. So if I say, you know, I don't like writing theses, the higher rule would be, it's not about whether you like it or not. It is what the intention is. If my intention is finish it, be done with it, I now know, regardless of whether I like it, it has to be finished. So, start. And to that extent, going all the way back to one form of mastery, the lessons, the principles, the, the, the way of doing will inevitably leak to another mastery. Same thing with maths and you know general science and the chemistry right because you have to use the formula somehow i mean the formula in math might not be the same formula in let's say chemistry but the way you go about it is the same so to <laughs> repeat what i just said one uh steve and i discussed the cabillion a bit one thing that i found that was uh, chapter six, I forgot which page. The higher rule, uh, the higher rule will always beat the lower rule. And thus, mm-hmm. if you are on the path of mastery or mm-hmm. see yourself as a student of the old masters, 
you have to realize that if you want to be more aligned with nature, you must understand the fundamental rules and the fundamental rules are always superior to any other rule because they are derived from it. It's the same mm. idea as all academics at some point have to be have to look into occultism because we have to understand what is what the truer truth, right? It is inevitable that a lot of martial artists suddenly become more interested in the simplification of the art. Mm -hmm. Because when you're teaching a kid, you need to explain it. And you're, you're almost being forced through the situation to reflect on the technique. Even if it's a front kick, what are the dynamics? Yes. And from the dynamics, what is the real game that's being played? Yes. Okay, what is the Taekwondo game? What is the BGJ game? What is the MMA game? What is the streets game? Absolutely. And from the, the whole, let's say, martial arts slash street fighting aspect, what is then uh, the truth of life? I mean, even Musashi, when writing his book, wasn't even really thinking about, you know, a fight in and of itself. But the strategic aspects of all and how it leaks into all aspects of life, mm. right? going from the self to the body to the strategy to armies and you know it also goes all the way back to Sun Tzu I'm not mm -hmm. sure if they are from that I don't know maybe maybe in spirit who knows but it is inevitable that the way you do one thing is the way you do all things that's mm -hmm. connecting again with your me time your me time is so extremely important that if you don't do it, that if I don't completely do it, and I feel extremely irritated throughout the whole day, yes, yeah. I'll be still more efficient than 99% of people within the world, but I'm still pissed <laughs> off that I didn't manage to do it fully. Yeah, man. I, I know on certain days when I miss my meditation, like it just, there's something off about that energy. You know, yeah. there's something we should, we should put that on, uh, on on print i missed my meditation sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a great t-shirt yeah that's that's the next uh that's the next merch release for, oh yeah for we do it okay we, yeah we gotta start making sure i missed Man, my I meditation sorry <laughs> i love this idea of you know, taking the simple approach, like the practical approach, I think mm -hmm. that's what Bruce Lee was trying to do, right? He was, he was trying to get, create Jeet Kune Do based on the idea of like, I want the, I want to bridge the gap and be able to take these different art forms, fighting these different, you know, martial arts masters and creating my own style. And I think that that's something that anybody can learn from, you know, that's primarily what we do in hip hop too. It's like that mm -hmm. remix or sampling thing, like being able to, you know, take something from somewhere else and reinvent it and be able to you know, optimize it. You know what yeah. just reminds me of? Um, you know, the heyday of Sean Paul and etc. cetera? Sean Paul. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Someone giving you so uh, I, 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 I love, I love his songs, man, because that was like the first songs I danced to going to the club. You know, young Ryan did no shit about, you know, rhythms, two steps and whatever. 
had to be taught on the spot. And after doing some research, like years later, I realized that these young men were like remixing and rehearsing, like, you know, a, a what's it called again on like doing reps and reggae on, what's it called again? A Murder She Wrote, let's say, like a very old school reggae song because, right. yeah. you know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not completely sure if that's the song, but I remember like an old school reggae and they would like remix the beat mm. and rap on it. And they had an album, like one beat, many rappers. And that's, that's a great idea. I, I love stuff like that. Yeah. I, I, w- one of the things that you're touching upon both that really excites me a lot to talk about is the, um, bridging the gap between genres or even genre bending, if you will. One of the things that I really like to do a lot as a musician is I like to do covers of songs in completely different styles and also make them completely my own version or to um, create like original uh, music, but to try and, and, and sort of drive in between lanes. If, if a lane represents a genre, sort of trying to drive in between them or sometimes just go off-road completely and and just try out different things, implement the synth in like a rock song and having like a a completely unexpected um, combination of things happening. I think that's so much fun. And a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of uh, fun for me anyway, is derived from that, is derived from recreating something in a completely different way. That's like so much fun for me to do, doing that kind of cover. Totally, man. Yeah, I love doing that. Like, I love being inspired by different artists. And, you know, like you said, driving between lanes. I like that analogy. That's, that's very spot on in terms of you know, you want to take little pieces from everyone, you know, you, do, you right. don't want to copy someone completely, like, mm. you want to be inspired by them, mm. and yeah, man, I recently, I was, I sampled Alan Watts, you know, in his speeches, speaking in the Sweet. big Sweet, that's so cool, I want to hear that, whatever you're creating with that, I want to hear it, that yeah, it's exciting, it's coming out on the 24th, so in four days, yeah, so, nice. I was, yeah, super keen on getting him to say uwe. Like he just says uwe. I just took him saying uwe and I put it into the chorus with me singing uwe over it. And it's just like, <laughs> just like this nice, you know, ability to take the different things that inspire me. You know, Alan Watts, like I love listening to his speeches, but to have him be a voice in a project of a song that I'm doing is very multidisciplinary, right? It's mm, like, yeah, it's what you would say, there's a genre called meaning wave, I believe, where you take speeches, yeah, make it yeah. into a song. So it's like you're listening to a Jordan Peterson lecture. Yeah. <laughs> in the Looks back. Like, yeah, it's like a vaporwave type beat. Wave I love type. that. Yeah, that's amazing. I've, I've seen some of that on YouTube. One of yeah. the songs that I liked was, I think, called Clean Your Room. Clean Your Room, yeah. yeah. It's just clean up your room. And I'm just like vibing. And you know what would be funny? Know. Jordan Peterson and R. Kelly. For some reason, oh that God. works. <laughs> I, I could just imagine Bro. like R. Kelly yeah. just doing a stupid rap song 
or R&B song on uh, cleaning your room. I mean, if one, I don't know who else does this, but look at Remix to the Ignition. It's a fantastic song or Bump and Grind. Oh my God. Bump and Grind yeah. is a fantastic song. I mean, okay, regardless <laughs> of who the person actually is, but yeah, like let's... the storytelling <laughs> R&B is like fantastic. I mean, I yeah, remember. Yeah, it really is. Man, oh you're on something here. Yeah, I think you guys I should really, do it. Yeah. Fuck it, try it out. Who knows? I'm I'm writing this down right now. This is, see, but this is the reason why I like doing podcasts. It's like a continuous value exchange, and then all of a sudden we're having prints, we're having quotes, we're having to explain why we make dirty jokes on Fab Nation. Um, uh, still the greatest quote of this this show would, would definitely be. Uh, <laughs> I miss my meditation. Sorry, yeah. that just works. That's, it's it's great. It's a great T-shirt. Yeah. And going back or to yeah, or it's like a great. Um, what do you call those things that you put on the the door handle when you don't want someone to come in? It's like sorry, we're fucking. yeah it's it's even more that's hilarious it's even more funny if the person knows that you live alone or like that you are the only one in the room and that it still says sorry we are fucking it's like who are you talking about bro are you like it's me myself man (laughs) are there aliens it is what it is that's actually hilarious but that idea of storytelling in a more um maybe philosophical sense or a more um, educational uh, manner regarding pretty profound topics through the medium of something like R&B. That is a really cool idea. Like I, I actually feel like, yeah, you're, you're onto something there. Dude, I'm down to try that out. I might might drop something soon. Yeah. Bucket. Send a free sample. I'm curious. Heck yeah. So what about your music, Sumit? Tell me a little bit about that. Where can where can someone find your music and what kind of music do you make? So uh, I'm a rapper. Um, I I feel like I'm a bit of a genre bender a little bit too. You know, I, I do a little bit of singing over my rap and it's kind of a blend of, you know, different influences from Eminem, Childish, Gambino, Chance the Rapper, kind of, you know, it's all kind of a melting pot of styles. So yeah. I, I wanted to create my own genre, calling it DM Trap or DMT Rap. Hello. That's so sick, dude. That's and amazing. Just basically be very trippy music. Um, I'm still formulating that and, you know, trying to create something out of that. But my rap name is Scripts, S-K-R-I-B-T-Z. And you can find it on uh, SoundCloud. I have a few things on Spotify, too, I believe. Nice. Uh, and... Yeah, uh, sound uh, soundcloud.com slash scripts dash one. And that's my uh, where you can scripts. find a lot of Sweet, yeah. man. I'm very curious. I'm going to check you out. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, that's, music that's... has been super inspiring to me. I started rap battling originally when I was super young. So I was like text battling online and stuff like that when I watched 8 Mile for the first <laughs> no? Whoa. I Next battling online. Heard little Indian joke, you know, like this known to man during that time. Because first of all, there's no Indian rappers doing that. Like I was like 13 or 12 or something, and <laughs> you know, 
I was like the only, like the youngest guy in the forums, Indian, you know, completely random. Like <laughs> I heard every single insult, but it strengthened my ego, you know, during that time. I mean, yeah, I heard some wild shit and I was able to think of comebacks and like, I really got, you know, personal and, and that, that's another element of fighting is that verbal element of it. Right. And I actually wanted to ask you guys on what is your opinion of trash talking? Like mm. what would be like makes a trash talker in a sense, of course you want to have bragging rights because you know that you have the skill set to back it up. However, at times I notice that, you know, certain times, you know, you'll have a basketball uh, player like Larry Bird, you know, just kind of mouth off someone. And again, it's like, sometimes his skill set doesn't match his profanity you could say so what is your opinion of of like just you know playful banter or like trash talking in in the sport or in fighting in general yeah that's such an interesting question i i haven't really thought about this extensively so i really like this question um obviously as someone who watches a lot of ufc uh this is very interesting to to think about um i i have some i have I have some mixed feelings about trash talking because on the one hand, I feel like it is um, very disconnected. It's, uh, it's disconnected from the sort of um, the, the fighter that I have in mind when I think of a, like a good fighter, someone who, you know, brings that humble personality someone who respects the fight, someone who respects his or her opponent, and someone who is a good sport, like someone who will say, you know, thank you, and that was nice, and, and you know, um, thank you for the opportunity, and like shaking hands and stuff like that. Like these moments of sportsmanship, I, I can actually get quite emotional watching that stuff, because it, it really, uh, it really hits a snare with me to see people be that sportsmanlike, I feel like that is that is what a true fighter is like for me. Uh, a true fighter, for instance, is someone like George St. Pierre, like GSP. Like that guy, he had one moment where he could have been considered like trash talking. And that was basically him saying, and I quote something like, um, uh, I am not impressed by your performance and I am happy to you know, fight you. And then he shook his hand. And it was like that. That was like the worst trash talk. They did. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, like in most countries, that would be like you know, that would be like a like a you know, uh, like a mild compliment or, or something. Um, but that to me is a real fighter. Like that's that's what I, you know, honor. That's that's what I would like to see in other fighters, and that's what I aspire to be. You know, someone super sportsman like. Mm. Um, however, and this is the reason why I get the mixed messages um the mixed feelings it's because i do completely uh, recognize that the trash talking is generating most of the um, um hype uh, uh, uh interaction between fans and the sales in pay-per-view tickets is actually a direct correlation between people who are very extravagant in their trash talking in comparison to people who are not so much. A great yeah. example is, is obviously Conor McGregor. You know, Conor is a master trash talker. He's a gigantic magnet for the sport. He is 
um, so incredibly impactful. And I, I, I feel like he really wouldn't be like that if the trash talking game was non-existent or if, if he would constantly be, you know, the humble Conor, Conor McGregor from the start that we saw during his fight with uh, Cowboy Donald Cerrone. If, if we only had seen that Conor McGregor from the start, then I think he wouldn't have been the magnet that he is. Um, within the sort of press and, and the media aspects of the sport, I feel like it is the thing that attracts people the most. But as a true fighter, I feel like it is very... Um, um, yeah, it's 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 very disrespectful. It's it's not really the thing that I personally like to see in, in a fighter. What what do you think? What do you think, Ryan, about this? I absolutely agree. But which perspective should we take? If we take the perspective of simple purity, then talk is cheap. Is that simple? If we're here to fight and test pure yeah. martial arts, then talk is cheap. If you talk about mm. it as an entertainment sport, then it's inevitable that you have to know how to trash talk and the different ways of doing it. You can do right. the Conor Gregor way. If yeah. Israel Adesanya is a great way. And mm. my fear is that it becomes a lot like a WWE-ish WWE? kind of yeah. I mean, I like the Good WWE point. for what it is. For what it is. Right. Don't get me wrong. Exactly. These yeah. men <laughs> can destroy all it's three of us. It only takes one of them. Yeah. Because yeah. even though the moves might not be as legit, these are actual wrestlers with usually an actual wrestling background. So let's not forget that these are actual beasts doing a theater or playing a theater now the stunts are real i do believe that i, I believe the injuries are real and mm. it should be noted that these men really put their bodies through uh incredible pain to do what they do but is it then still a martial art it's the same thing with the theater kung fu is it still kung fu you tell me it's it's, it's great to look at but what's the bigger picture, really. Hmm. Are we looking at, uh, let's say, the objective of being a better martial artist, then no, duh, trash talking will not help you. Unless you could use trash talking to demean your opponent, to, you know, take away the motivation behind it. And then it becomes the idea of, yes, if you can win before you even step in the ring, then I say absolutely trash talk. Go ahead, plus you're getting paid for it. So mm. it then goes all the way back to when you're hunting, it's good to have a spear and to have proficiency in other things like climbing a mm. fucking tree or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So it no longer becomes an argument of what is better. It becomes an argument of what is the intention? What is the intention? What perspective is it? And what is his ultimate goal? If he just wants to be the greatest martial artist in the world ever, in what way? Because Usman is a fantastic 
fighter. Mm-hmm. You have seen his recent bout. Amazing But performance, his recent. Exactly, exactly. Incredible, incredible. I definitely recommend watching Sumit if you haven't seen it. It's a really, really strong performance. Where patience, he's fighting a very aggressive, very uh, knockout powered person. I think yeah. Burns, something, something Burns. Yeah. And he takes a shot. He goes down, but his eyes just keeps on the opponent, and he's being patient, patient, being with the pain, just being patient, and slowly, you know, as a wrestler, your first instinct when there's pain is to take the guy down, but he decided to play the striking game, and he won, which means he took a higher, and I don't know why I I, I did this. But he took a higher rule and applied it to a lower rule, which means he had to be patient. And in order to be a striker at his own game, he can't out strike a striker. He needs to out emotion him. He need to out intend him. Now, granted, if he didn't have his conditioning, it would not have worked. If he did not have his mentality, would not have worked. So it's like the perfect storm, so to speak, and he created it. Thus, martial arts becomes a an alchemy. Mm, wow, an mm, alchemy of two opposing forces, because both of us want to win. Chess is alchemy. It follows the same principle of he who has the better insight follows higher strategies and higher strategies become the higher rule because it's, it's, it's only if you follow the law of heuristics which means if this then this and even you know the IRS use, uses this when they try to relate it via uh, new school XML programming language if person A is married to person B then logically person B is married to person A and then turn it into chest cool imagine You have a chess match, but with your fist. Then it becomes high stakes, high reward chess, where every missed move might get you injured. No, will get you injured, will get you punched in the face. And how do you even remain calm in these situations? I'll tell you how. If you can remain calm while someone's trash talking, you win the game. If you can remain calm while you're being rejected by your employer, a new client, hot women, you've won, my friend. And all this comes comes from the idea of being a stoic almost. Ah, we're back again with stoicism, Sumit. And also all is mind, like Kavalyon. All is mind, Kavalyon, because all it, all, because the, the universe is a mental thing. Yeah. And the way you experience something, experience has a lot of connections with emotion. And emotion is nothing more than energy in motion. Does all the things that you feel in the here and now is either your irritation of missing your meditation, like this guy right here, and still having to do the work and realizing that you're lashing out for no reason and lashing out from the wrong perspective while simply surrendering to the situation would have been enough. And going that all the way back to trash talking, martial arts and coaching, what if we simply say it's an art? Because rap, 
could also be used for trash talking. Bell rap, that's trash talking too. Who has done it so far in the UFC? This might be a new move for you, Sumi. Try it out. <laughs> We're about to see a battle rap in the UFC. And it, it would be fun. It, it would be an interesting thing to do. You'll be the first MMA rapper. It's 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 gonna be fun until someone gets head kicked mid mid rap. Yeah, but that's unsportsmanlike. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that's unsportsmanlike. Yeah, exactly. I mean, after the bell rings, then it's it's pretty much you're trying to be Muhammad Ali or uh, Mike Tyson in in another way because even they were talking trash during their matches, right? Because yes. if you get in their head, you can't win. You yes. can. You have mm. the possibility to win until you fuck up, of course. And it's the same with pickup. It's the same with, you know, selling a client. It's the same with confessing a client that your solution works. He just hasn't looked. Yeah. And, and I think that self-talk is way more important than the other talk in a sense. Like if you can mm. speak to yourself that protects your own self-esteem, gives you that grit and energy before a game or a competition or a match or whatever, like that's what's going to be the most beneficial. I think this is a mm. game of 100% self-talk. It's all communication, right? Even 90% is like nonverbal, right, <laughs> of mm. communication. So right. it's about the vibe, you know, it's about the vibe that you carry. And the vibe is created from this kind of auto-suggestion, as you were saying, safe. It's mm. like mm -hmm. that ability to convince yourself, affirm affirmations, you have to affirm it to yourself that this is the reality you know man 100 true we've gone two hours but but, 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 but but let me end it on this one because you made a powerful point actually all that time we were talking about the way more mental stuff than we realized initially and if you really look deep into what we're doing both as coaches as professionals in different fields as rappers as musicians as artists we're actually mental mm -hmm. artists that are following the path of self-hypnosis, it becomes, because that's what an affirmation is, is self-hypnosis. Because if I believe, you know, remember the days when we didn't realize how we could do a high kick or an axe kick or a mundudulia, the, the reverse hooking kick. Mm -hmm. When I was five years old, I didn't even imagine being able to do it. But there's something inside of me telling me, you know what, that would be cool, I would imagine. And somehow I managed to go into Taekwondo and somehow through like a grueling stretching process because this guy was as uh, stiff as a board. At some point I reached it, I'm like, yes, I did it, even though it wasn't technically correct. And somehow convincing myself that even though others are faster, better, stronger, whatever, I too will at some point reach that stage and yes. you need to be patient it's like uh, the the famous story of you know being in a banquet and all the foods are different experiences and while one friend you know does something else and is flourishing and whatever it's cool it's his turn to eat that fried chicken or whatever and you're here with a salad bowl it's fine the salad bowl is healthy for you because you need the salad bowl now before you get, you know, the fried chicken or the deviled eggs or whatever. It's that French yeah. saying, you eat the devil before you get to eat the angel. 
it is kind of funny because it also relates kind of to sex you need to know eat pussy before you can get it in it it kind of works like that that's the reason that's how i've learned at least i know i'm going way off topic but you get the point i i had this is fascination (laughs) (laughs) i i really like the analogy that you used of the banquet that's a very interesting analogy and I can, I can relate that also to one of, the, um, one of the biggest stressors that people experience. You know, me uh, f- focusing on stress management. One of the things that I found is that um, something that creates a lot of stress with people is their constant comparison to other people's position in life yeah. or in society. And specifically also comparing the pace or the speed of their own developments uh, to other people's developments. So in other words, comparing your salad bowl to the KFC fried chicken with the honey mustard sauce that Peter is eating. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's yeah, completely yeah. fine. And, 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 like, and that's, that's completely fine. H- however, the, just to also give out this very quick piece of advice uh, while, while I'm talking about this anyway, this is a very <clears throat> detrimental mindset. The reason why it's detrimental is if I compare it, um, if, if, I, if I have to compare it to an analogy, I would compare it to a car on, on an infinite highway. Let's say you're a car on an infinite highway and you are constantly comparing your position on the infinite highway to someone else, like someone in front of you, for instance, then that means that it doesn't matter how fast you are going or how many of your goals you have achieved in or in like milestones of, of driving on that road, you will always be behind someone who is doing quote unquote better. Now, what is better? Better is a completely subjective thing. It is completely relative. Um, everything is relative. And that means that the only good thing you can do when you're thinking about comparison is comparing what you were doing yesterday to what you're doing now. This is the only type of comparison that you should be doing. All other types of comparison are not only useless, but they're detrimental. Like they create stress. They create this sense of not being as good as someone else, which is completely not true because everyone gets the fried chicken at the end on the banquet. You know, everything and everyone has its place and everything and everyone will have all places at some point. It's the natural evolution of the universe. So this is something that I, I would give to, to, the, to the listeners is that if you find yourself um, experiencing a lot of stress, try, try and look at this. Are you looking at other people um, in a way that is comparing it to your own experience too much? Is that maybe happening when you're looking at social media or, or other things? Try to understand that and try to understand why it doesn't help you. If you understand the core of why it's useless, then you will automatically stop doing it. If you, if you really try to understand why something is, um, is, is bad for you, then so you will subconsciously you know, uh, make the changes that are necessary. Because at the end of the day, you, you know what, what's good for you. You know what's bad for you. But it's all about understanding why. Like, why is something bad for me? And I think that is very important. So... Um, instead of comparing yourself to others, compare yourself to yourself from yesterday. 
you know, that's, that's a good way of going, going about that. That's so important, brother. Yeah. I think the audience definitely needed to hear specifically at a time where people are, you know, they're looking at social media, you know, at this time, everyone's at home locked down and then they're seeing all these people like maybe doing things outside. Maybe some people are traveling, maybe Croatia is open to lockdown or whatever. Right. So it's like people are constantly in this rush of understanding that it's taking you away from presence. Right. I think that that's one of those things that really gets people stressed out. I love the analogy of the, of the infinite highway. I was thinking a very similar analogy in my mind as you said that. I was thinking of like a biker, right, on the road. And if they're not focused on pedaling and they're focused on the handrail next to them, they're going to crash. Oh. Right? So if they're right. not in the moment, if they're not like focused in the now, right. they're going to like topple over. And so I yeah, think that's yeah, yeah. G for life, right? We, we that's think a good one too. Yeah, that's a good analogy too of what's around us yeah yeah and inspiration mm-hmm. defeats comparison any day mm. wow that's that's a very interesting one inspiration defeats comparison any day it's it's very true isn't it it's because you know in, in inspiration inspiration has infinite potential like it it, it, it allows you to reach heights that are unknown maybe even you know, comparison compares you to one point. Like that's where you can go, or like that's where you can you can go beyond. It's very interesting. Um, I had this experience one time going to Turkey to kind of like a youth exchange program. It was a program about Islamophobia, and um, me having a religious background, I was raised Islamic. At the at the moment, I'm more of an if I had to compare my belief, I would say to anything, uh, I would compare it to maybe an agnostic uh, point of view. I'm more, I'm more of an ag- agnostic right now, which means I, um, I I believe that there is for sure, you know, the the source of all creation. There's the, the infinite potentiality. We all come from the higher vibration, vibrational source, and and and, and love. Um, but I find it quite difficult to. Um, sort of to marry to one's specific religious ideology and to live my life throughout that book, I would much rather read all the books and derive something that works for me uh, that I think is valuable. So that's just a very quick uh, update on like what, what, what I feel about that. But um, when I went there on the youth exchange program, there was this girl uh, and this girl was not very happy. Uh, she was constantly finding herself um, being um, very emotional, like crying. She she was just um, in, there was something with her mentality that was not allowing her to enjoy life or to be a very uh, playful or, or to, to enjoy the little things or to be... Um, in the moments you could say even. So I, I was talking to her and one of the things that I found out quite quickly was that she was constantly um, looking at the happiness and joy of other people. And she was being very sad that she was not like that, but also she felt like she was a burden towards those people. 
that her sadness was kind of pulling people back from enjoying their happiness. Uh, and this was constantly happening. So she also said that, you know, I'm, I'm seeing everyone being so happy and everyone is so cool except for me or whatever. I mean, I told her, first of all, a little, like I told her that some of the most interesting conversations that I've had, some of the most thought-provoking things I've had with her. So that was the first, you know, thing that I told her, I, I shared with her the value that she did not see that she really had. Um, but then I tried to explain to her why that mentality of comparing herself to others was the thing that was holding her back from enjoying um, life to the extent that is possible. And I used the same infinite car analogy. And then instead, I said, trying to understand that this is not working for you because it's not working for anyone, uh, because it can never work. Uh, after trying to um, understand that, I tried to give her an idea of how to approach um, how to approach this with a better mindset. So she said, yeah, I'm constantly seeing happy people around me and all of these cool things happening around me. And I just feel like a burden. And like, uh, then I tried to sort of take that situation and explain it in a different way. I said that, what if everything that you're seeing around you, what if all that cool stuff that you're seeing, what if all that happiness and joy in other people, what if it's like um, sort of an indication of where you're going rather than something that you should be comparing yourself to right now, rather? It's kind of like, it's analogous to the infinite cars, infinite highway cars, in terms of the, the car in front of you that you're comparing yourself towards is constantly in front of you. So instead of being sad about it, you can think that's where I'm going next. Like that's where I'm headed right now. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's kind of, it's, kind, it's the same problem, but you're just approaching it differently. And I feel like that's something that is so valuable about the human mind is that we can, you know, that, that saying of 10% um, is what's happening in the world and 90% is how we're dealing with that, is what we're doing with that information. That's so true. And I, I speak from, um, from experience because I've had a very turbulent past in terms of like mental well-being. Um, I've had some, you know, situations where, you know, I was like super depressed. I had a lot of anxiety issues. Uh, I had like a month where I was going to a hospital to check out why I couldn't sleep and I couldn't work, stuff like that. Like I've, I've been in a very dark place um, and now I'm in a very adventurous place. Life is almost like a movie, you know, and, and everything is so beautiful and exciting and I see the beauty in, in everyone and everything around me. Um, and that's just a shift in mindset. My environment hasn't changed at all. And I feel like that's, that's the cool thing about all of us is like we have that ability we have that potentiality to become so much more than we were um that's such a magical thing about about you know being here having this existence 
and being blessed with the opportunity to make it uh, so much more than we can. And um, yeah, it, it was interesting. I, I, I spoke to her recently. She's still a very sad, not in a great place, unfortunately. Um, but I'm sure that just like the, the, the principles of the universe state, which is the principle of the rhythm, I'm sure that for all the sadness that she's experiencing, there will be a shift, a compensation shift where she's experiencing the opposite. I know this is true. The Kibalian, they, they think it's true as well. Um, I've experienced it myself. And it's what, we were, it's what we were talking about earlier as well, where we all come from this source, the source, the great creation, where it, the, it's high frequency. That's where we come from. And I feel like I've had this idea recently and I've been thinking about it a lot is that I feel like there is this motion throughout the universe. There's like kind of like an ebb and a flow um, emotion where, you know, everything is constantly in balance. Everything is constantly compensated. And the most natural and highest form of evolution is back towards the source of where we came from. And that is the highest frequency. That is light. It's truth. It's love. So this will always, at the end, uh, win over the lower frequency, as you said earlier, Ryan. Amazing, man. That's so wonderful that you shared that. Yeah, and that, I think that's what really makes a great coach, right? What you did there was essentially good coaching. Is you you saw her at her potential. You didn't see her as she was in that moment. You saw her for her potential and who she could be. And I think that's what a lot of people who are good coaches, they have this maximizer mindset. You know, how can I make this better? How can I see this in a different way? You know, how can I right. expand this rather than contract this? Right. And I think that's the mentality that it takes for, for any great individual, for a fighter, for a musician, for a coach, for anybody. So yeah, this was an amazing podcast, guys. Uh, thank you so much for being here, brother. Really appreciate your presence. This has been so much fun. So I want to thank you guys for having me here. You know, no Fat Nation, this is the beginning of something great. And I believe that the evolution of this podcast and, and you both as individuals is going to bring great and amazing things to you and to the world. Uh, I really feel the, the special energy that you guys have. So thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you for inviting me. It's been so much fun. And I'm down to come back with more awesome things in the future. And of course, to invite you to my podcast <laughs> in the future when, when that will be set up. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Anyway, seeing how it is the end, already added to our mock. Listeners, thank you for listening to Fat Nation. My name is Ryan Gafukan, and of course, from Flowzone, Sumi Chatterjee, thank you for your time, and our guest, Saif, life coach, stress management, all around fun guy, thank you for your time. This has been Fab Nation. Good night. Good night.